I usually get that job uh, where I'm playing guitar and singing and listening to a band and organizing all that kind of stuff. And he usually, uh, uh, more often than not, speaks here. So uh, if you're new, uh, my name is Kurt uh, Buchanan, and I'm on staff here at this church. I'm involved with the uh, music that happens, worship arts, and a variety of other things at the church. But I get to speak every once in a while, so um, I appreciate the opportunity and uh, your much grace in letting me do so. So that's something that I'm wanting to learn and grow in. So um, you have a novice here, just to let you know if you're, if you're new here. This, I'm the novice. So um, let's just uh, uh, pray and give God glory and ask us to ha- uh, just that he would give us open hearts now. Uh, Jesus, we just... Um, are so grateful for your presence here with us, and uh, I pray that uh, each person here um, would know that and sense that, and uh, as we continue forward, that uh, we would have listening hearts, um, that we would have um, sharp minds, that we'd be able to stay focused, um, that above all, your word would begin to transform our lives. In your name we pray, amen. So... A quick review on where we have been. We're in a series on Romans. We're trucking through, looking at chapter 12 and zooming in on that point because it's a critical turning point in the book of Romans. Now, Romans is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a bunch of people in Rome. This is a few decades maybe after uh, the time of Jesus when he uh, Jesus was on the planet, uh, lived, uh, died, was raised to life. Uh, And then this is sometime after that, and he's writing to a group of Christians in Rome, and he's never been there. And he walks through 11 chapters. You might sum it up as, this is God's love for you. And chapter 12 is this critical turning point in terms of our response. And so that's why we looked at, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies. Uh, We've talked about surrender being a critical part in offering our bodies, our whole lives being all in Um, with God. And uh, in another context, this series has been used in a variety of other contexts uh, by other churches. And after uh, the, you know, sermon on surrendering your life to Jesus, um, this lady responded by sending an email to the pastor. And um, uh, she wrote about her story, um, what kind of was going on in her life and a little bit about her background. And so I'll kind of share this with you. This is not a a story that's uh, happened here, but I wanted to share this story with you because I think um, you'll start to see some um, common elements that perhaps you've experienced or you know people who have experienced. So she had received Christ as her Savior when she was about 13, but then she began to speak about how her relationship with God had been up and down. She had struggled with alcoholism and immorality, She uh, said that she had been feeling lethargic and distant from God. She uh, had asked the question, if I died today, would people say that I was a Christian, that I was a messenger of God, or would they even know that I followed God at all? She was challenged by the message in Romans 12.1 and decided that she was going to go all in, surrendering her life completely to God. But isn't it tragic that there was a decision made at 13, but the surrender didn't come until about 20 years later. How is it possible for someone to decide to follow Christ and then live entirely as though it had made no difference? Perhaps as if their Bible had read, in view of God's mercy, trudge on in failure and hopelessness, believing that nothing will ever change on this side of heaven. 
Does this experience sound familiar to you? That someone could make a decision to follow Christ but then have a life that was described as lethargic, distant from God, where in order to cope, she had to turn to alcohol, seeking wholeness with multiple sexual partners. Perhaps this describes you. Maybe it wasn't alcohol or immorality. Perhaps there's something or perhaps a long list of things that are ruling in your life. You made a decision for Christ, but you haven't stepped into that victorious, abundant life that Jesus talks about. You largely live exactly like the people of this world. Every trend, what's important and not important, what's enticing, what's exciting, is entirely determined by the world. There are many people who make decisions for Christ, but there are fewer disciples of Christ. What makes the difference? How do you get the very best from God? That's the question we're going to look at um, today. Um, We looked at a question last week, um, what does God want most? And he wants us in our surrender. Um, But how do we get the very best from God? We're looking at Romans 12, 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So if you want the very best from God, if you want his good, pleasing, and perfect will, we need to stop being conformed, and instead we need to be transformed. Romans 12, 2 has a negative command. Stop, don't be, right? Do not be conformed. And it has a positive command. We're told that we need to stop something and we need to start something. Um, But let me pause here for a second. Be very, very careful Um, it's uh, very easy, it's enticing, and yet very destructive um, if we suddenly think we need to try hard or try harder, and we end up becoming some kind of a religious person about what we stop doing and start doing. Uh, We're not to become religious people with a set of rules and expectations that we force upon ourselves or force on others outwardly. Rather, there is something that needs to happen Inwardly, the butterfly, metamorphosis, this transformation. Um, But I think we need to really pay attention to this caution to be careful not to be a religious person and try to make these things happen outwardly. And so I'd like to just look at the Sermon on the Mount for a second. In the Sermon on the Mount, a very famous um, section in the Bible in both Matthew and Luke, a long section of Jesus' teaching, he concludes um, this section by talking about a number of different things. He's talking about two ways, two paths. As he was summing up, he said, there's a wide and a narrow gate. He said, there are true and false prophets and true and false disciples. There are wise and foolish builders. So if Jesus said, listen, in life there's two paths, what would you assume those two paths are? I think many people would jump to one is good and one is evil. But when you look at the Sermon on the Mount, it's simply not the case. That kind of doesn't make any sense. When he describes the people in the Sermon on the Mount, you have um, people praying. One kind of person is praying like this and one kind of person is praying like this. Another person fasting like this and another person fasting like this. One person giving like this and one person giving. Everybody is fasting, praying, and giving Everybody's building, everybody's in pursuit, but there's a difference between them. The 
path is perhaps the right one, uh, the Christian one, the one that God is calling us to, and the other one is the religious one. And we have to be very, very careful to follow the right path. So consider how you're being motivated by fear to stop conforming to the pattern of the world as if God is going to get you if you don't, or fear that someone else is going to have some opinion of you that could crush you. Don't be motivated by pride that you are going to achieve some spiritual greatness through your nonconformance. And uh, be careful. Remember, it is in view of God's mercy that we offer our lives to him. Because of the relationship we have with him, we stop conforming and we begin the hard process of transformation with the right motives. It has to happen inwardly. Beware of the tendency to be a religious person going about outward, trying to force it inward, but let the transformation come from inside. So be careful about what immediately, even as we go through this, you think, these are the things I need to stop. These are the things I need to start. Because if you go at it like a religious person, you will fail and perhaps cause great harm to yourself and to people around you. So let's look at the pattern of this world the world is always pressing its values on us. Um, when you look at um, even just the verbiage uh, in the, these verses, um, the conforming is happening to you all the time. It's never neutral. It's not something that just happens if you kind of hang out there. It is forcing itself on everybody. The pattern of this world is trying to squeeze us into its mold. It's relentless. Because ultimately there's an enemy of your soul who wants to mess up your life, to ruin your relationships, to separate you from God, to make you emotionally depressed, to cause you to, be, to physically go to places that are going to ruin your life. The world system is set on destroying you. And the devil is, the devil is so clever, isn't he? Because lots of the time it feels so right. It makes sense to us. We feel so justified in what we do or say and think. But when we do what we want, when we want, with who we want, we end up somewhere we don't want to be. When we do what we want, when we want, with who we want, we end up somewhere we don't want to be. So what are the world's values? Um, we're going to look at First uh, John 2, 15. Um, I believe it clarifies this for us a little bit. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. We're going to talk about these three things in the pattern of this world. That's the thing we're not being conformed to. There's a pattern. There's three things, and we're going to highlight those in a number of different ways. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So let's talk about what maybe lust of the flesh is. Lust of the flesh is the passion to feel. It's desire. It is hunger, thirst, um, those kinds of things, not just for food, I mean, but that sense of lust. Um, it's our desire for pleasure. And that pleasure can come out in um, sex or food. 
these desires are legitimate, but the enemy, the world, tries to have us meet these legitimate needs through illegitimate means. Lust of the eyes, this is the passion to have or to possess. This is coveting something. Um, Pride of life has to do with position or status. It could be said many ways. Um, Pleasure, possessions, and position. Or, Or some have said it, Sex, salary, and status. Uh, For uh, the gentleman, it could be said, girls, gold, and glory. And this system is broadcast over every channel all of the time. Every show we see, every commercial, every magazine, in every song on the radio. The world system says if you have these things, you'll have significance, meaning, happiness, and purpose or what we think would be good, pleasing, and perfect, but not God's good, pleasing, and perfect. If you just go out for some milk, or bread, or a stick of gum, you go through the grocery store, you can't go through the line and pay for it without walking through a gauntlet of system, the world system oppression. In one glance at a magazine rack, suddenly you were hit with, Diet, sex, abs, popularity, gossip, celebrity, scandal, politics, try harder, be someone, wedding of your dreams, you deserve it. You can be a better you if you'll just die on the altar of this world. If you'll just die on the altar of your own self-worship. I'm certain that every single one of us would be able to say we've had this pressing in on us this week. It's relentless. But it doesn't take much research to find out that people with the best bodies, the greatest fame and fortune, are among the most suicidal, depressed, divorced, broken, unhappy people. We need to be sharply aware that the world system is being shoved down our throats. So we need to stop conforming. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So that's the the negative command to not be conformed. The positive command is to be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Now, if you've ever done a Myers-Briggs test, um, you've been labeled as a thinker or a feeler. Some of you are high thinkers, some of you are high feelers, and, and many of you are somewhere in between. Now, if you're near the midline between thinker and feeling, perhaps you've never struggled with this, but if you're a high thinker or a high feeler, perhaps you've wrestled with the different emphasis placed on how we respond to God, responding to God through our feeling or through our thoughts. And I think it's important in this section of the Bible we're looking at that says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, um, that this is not only for thinkers, and I guess I would say I've wrestled with this because I ha- in my lifetime, um, my Myers-Briggs early readout, um, my personality test said that I was a high feeler, which was true. Um, if I do the test now, I'm more high into my thinking side of my personality. And uh, I do understand the blend in between them, but I have wrestled with this because I responded to God from a totally different place, it felt like, um, earlier on than I do now 
And so I'm in this tension. And maybe some of you feel, again, if you're in the midline, maybe you don't even notice this tension. But perhaps if you're a high thinker or a high feeler, you do. And so I just wanted to address it. The mind is a complex mixture of thinking and feeling. Um, thinking, though, is the starting place. But it doesn't say be transformed by the having of different feelings. Transformation will happen to both our thoughts and our feelings through mind renewal. Um, see, at an idea or a situation or um, uh, a thought, something somebody says, we have a response right away that comes in through thinking, through our thought, and then it goes to this very complex matrix and it sends one person into anger, frustration, or joy, or whatever it might be, and another person into deep reflection. Um, but I think uh, these things must be paired together, true and genuine feeling and the right thoughts, the right information. Um, it's not enough to have right thoughts and information. It must be paired with true, genuine feeling. And it's unrealistic, unrealistic to expect that your feelings can be so true and passionate that you will always respond to God in the right way without the hard work of thinking. So I won't say much more on that, but uh, maybe recommend a great book on that if you want to dig through that a little bit further. Um, Renovation of the Heart by Dallas Willard. Uh, he has some helpful insights to help understand body, soul, mind, and strength, break down how that works, what the mind is. And uh, he speaks of this idea on this very similar passage of scripture. Uh, I'd recommend it to everyone. There's even youth versions out there with study guides and things like that if you want to dig further into how exactly does that work, what is the mind. Um, anyways, we'll, we'll continue. How does one go about mind renewal? What's interesting to note, that the same way that the world is acting on us, it is constantly trying to squeeze us into its mold. When we look at this next part, God is the one who acts on us. It says, be transformed. It doesn't say, transform yourself. Again, perhaps the religious person in us would want to do that, <laughs> to try and transform ourselves. But it says, be transformed. It's supernatural. It is the Spirit of God taking the Word of God and um, renewing our minds in the context of community of faith, real relationships, where the personality of Jesus and his character progressively become more how we think and how we act. We become loving and kind, peaceful, gentle, generous, other-centered, having self-discipline. The fruit of the Spirit, the very life of Christ alive in us. The pattern of this world has been around for a long, long time. Uh, you could look at Adam and Eve in the garden and uh, how the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life were present. But someone else was tempted with these things and was not put into a mold. Jesus was not influenced by the pattern of this world. How did he overcome? In Matthew chapter 4, uh, in the temptation of Jesus, he is tempted three times, and it is these three things. It is the pattern of this world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And he responds every time from memory, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, 
but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You can't experience God's best for you without making this truth part of your everyday life. You need to take the written word of God and let the Spirit make it, make it the living word of God and change you, change your desires in ways that you can't even understand. Transformation is something that, that God does in us, but what is our part to play? Um, you've heard the phrase, you are what you eat. And uh, if you go to certain restaurants, perhaps if you're a judgmental person like I am, um, you can go to certain restaurants and you think, yep, you've been here a little bit too often. Um, output always has to do with input. If you look at your life and it seems a lot more like the pattern of this world, perhaps you have some changes to make. If you're getting more uh, Netflix or news or sports or whatever, you know what yours is, then the word, um, you have the opportunity to do something about it. So here's some great ways to renew your mind. And I think it's important to remember to reflect on this question. Are you more shaped by the world or by the word? Here's a few things I think we need to do. We need to hear God's word. Uh, Romans uh, ten seventeen says, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the words of God. Um, a novel idea, attend church regularly. That's a, a simple one. Um, if you look at North American trends, um, regular attendance used to be once a week or more. Regular attendance now is... Uh, one in three, maybe. Um, and I know that life is busy, it gets complicated, people travel, people work, all those kind of things. Attend church regularly, get involved, be there, hear the word of God. Um, if you miss a Sunday morning, um, you can podcast. Um, you can stay engaged with what your church is learning about together. So hear God's word. Um, again, uh, there's lots of great Bible teachers beyond um, Hillcrest. You can podcast. I do that all the time. I'll listen to many sermons throughout the week, um, traveling back and forth in the car, other kinds of things. With a couple of clicks on most smartphones, you can have um, the Word of God being preached to you anytime you'd like. Um, hear God's Word. Also, read God's Word. Revelations 1.3, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, the Bible's right here in our auditorium. You can take. That's for you. Um, we'll get more for here so that we can continue to give more Bibles to people who need them. If you don't have one, take one, please. Um, you can also have an app on your phone and a couple of clicks, free app, and the Bible and many translations can be right on your phone. Um, so get an app on your phone. Um, start a reading plan. Finish a reading plan. <laughs> uh, I've done this one lots where I have a moment where I'm motivated and I, I start. And sometimes I don't finish. So maybe finish one. Um, put your Bible on your kitchen table. Uh, don't eat until you read it. Um, see how easy it is to be uh, religious about it? <laughs> um, again, be careful. Um, read God's word. Memorize God's word. Um, 
we're doing that a little bit here on Sundays. Um, perhaps there's a way that you can do that at home. Um, in my house, we've got some post-it notes on our fridge, and every single time we open it, there's a post-it note with a few verses that are being put into our minds. Um, you can, when you stop at a red light, I know lots of people had cards above their, um, whatever, the, the visor, the something. Um, when it came down, <laughs> they had cards with various verses on, and they would read the, through those and memorize verses that way. There's lots of ways you can go about it. Um, put them on your bathroom mirror, again, uh, something. Um, again, there's other Bible memory apps, actually, as well. Um, one Laura Blackman mentioned, uh, Scripture Typer. This is where there's, you know, you actually type the verse out and gradually it starts to drop out certain words and you have to fill in the blanks until eventually you write out the whole thing. So if you're someone who functions or works that way, try that. There's hundreds of other ones to try. Try something. Um, hear God's word, read God's word, memorize God's word, and meditate on God's word. This is reading and rereading changing emphasis, looking at specific words, drawing out every nuance, and fully appreciating the depth of what you're reading to your very soul, to you personally. Um, again, meditate comes from that word, um, a weird system in cows where they get to eat their food many times. Um, kind of gross. <laughs> That's not how we're built, thankfully. Um, but our mind is... And we need to meditate and put it in and continue to move it around and see it from all the different angles. Um, study God's word. On your own or with friends, pull out a commentary, dig through it, ask questions. Um, study. Don't just kind of coast from beginning to end in a reading plan, though those are great. Take some time to also study. Okay, we've got some uh, questions for reflection and then we're going to move into a time of communion together um, so um, I think we've got these on our, our, our screen we'll, we'll try it questions for reflection number one what's your major takeaway from this morning what's your major takeaway two do you know why so many Christians experience or why so few Christians experience God's best for their lives according to Romans 12.2. Why do so many miss it? Um, we all struggle with the world system seeking to mold our lives. Where are you most vulnerable? What has helped you the most to resist temptation in your area of weakness? Why is mind renewal so important? How does mind renewal and getting God's best relate to one another. You have a handle on that? Is there something or someone God wants you to say no to because it's conforming you to the world? Is there something that God wants you to say yes to so your mind can be renewed and so you can experience God's best for you? I believe God will nudge you about taking next steps and I pray that we would all have the courage to be able to step into that in relationship, not in religiosity. Um, begin to think about what we need to stop and what we need to start. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, 
pleasing and perfect will. Uh, let me pray for you, and then we're going to move into a time of communion. Father, thank you that through you we can have the, the strength to not be squeezed into the world's mold, that we can rise above, that we can think differently about it, that we can respond differently, that in all the situations that come in our life when people speak words of hate towards us, we can respond differently because we're not conforming to the pattern of this world. Uh, when uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of ads tell us we need to um, buy something else to be happy uh, or uh, to be more powerful, um, we can let it go knowing that in you we have everything we need. And uh, God, I pray that um, we would see the pattern of this world for what it is every time it shows its ugly head and uh, it wouldn't seem so appealing to us, but that... Uh, bit by bit as we put your word in our hearts, in our minds, we would be transformed, we would see it clearly, and we would more and more show the character of your son, the character of Christ, and the fruit of the Spirit. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening, I'm going to pass it back over to Pastor Steve. Thank you so much, Kurt, for what you shared here this morning. I just I wrote this down. If you'll just die on the altar of your own self-worship. Uh, we're about to celebrate something that uh, is a great replacement for that. Instead of, uh, instead of our own self-worship and, and instead of making life all about ourselves, um, we have found a much those who are believers, those who have come to faith in Christ, we found a much better place to be, a much healthier place to be, and that is being in relationship with God and allowing Him to be the center of our lives, not ourselves. And uh, so we're, we're going to take this time to celebrate communion together. And uh, as we remember the Lord's table, I want to just read to you what will be familiar verses to many of you. But I think they're very, very uh, they speak to us today. This is uh, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I just want to grab that one word, proclaim. There's two, I think, main words in this. Remember, obviously, we're remembering Christ, his death, what he did for us, his love demonstrated for all of us. That's one thing we're remembering through this observance. But... Um, Oh, and we're remembering the body, the fact that he, not just his body die, dying on the cross, but also that he has made his people into a spiritual family. So we are a body together. And, uh, of course, some of the instructions in 1 Corinthians 11 were very pointed towards making sure we did not just do this as an individualistic act, but recognized 
the other brothers and sisters that Jesus has given us to, uh, to claim spiritually. But it's that word proclaim that really grabs me. We proclaim his death. What we're doing is, well, we're doing a lot. We're proclaiming that he died and he is the answer for everyone, for all mankind. That in him is uh, forgiveness of sins. In him is the pathway to God. In him is life and joy and peace. In him is power to be able to see your life transformed as we've talked about uh, surrendering our lives. In him is the process that happens afterwards as we're slowly being able to separate ourselves from the, the pattern of this world that teaches us to make our lives all about us. But slowly but surely, we're delivered by that, by Christ, by Christ. So when we proclaim his death, we're proclaiming that there is one thing that stands above all other identifying factors about us. There's one thing that marks us more than any other thing. And you think about the things that mark us so distinctly. Maybe your job. If you work the same job for many years, you might say, well, I'm a this, whatever that career or role is. Or you think about your education. I, I've got this, I am, I've been educated in this, and you might, that might be a, a great identifying factor. Or you think of maybe your political viewpoint. I'm, I'm this or I'm that. Those things might be highly valued in your life as something that you identify with. Uh, even I think about the one that is almost inescapable, the family that you came from or the family that you're currently a part of, your family of origin or your current biological family. All those things mark us. But we proclaim today that something for the believer, for those who follow Christ, something marks us above all of those things. All of those identifying factors exist, but they are less than this one identifying factor, Jesus' death and resurrection. That that marks us most of all. So if you've been through, if you've, if you've uh, taken the step of obedience to go through baptism, been gone under the water and come up and been completely drenched, then you've testified to the fact that this is the main defining factor of who I am. My identity is not wrapped up in all those other categories. It is mainly defined by who Jesus Christ has made me. And he has opened the door for me to become a child of God, for me to enter into relationship with God. And that is the, that is the thing you need to know most of all about me. So today, as we, as we take these, symbol, these symbols, they're, they're emblems of, of Christ's body, the wafers, and the juice of his blood, Let's proclaim, let's proclaim, let's proclaim. This is the point, this is the, the thing that defines me happened long before I was born. The thing that defines me happened on a hill called Golgotha back in Judea. The thing that defines me was when God made his love absolutely crystal clear for me and therefore in view of God's mercy, I have offered my body back to God as a living sacrifice. I offer him my life as a worship. 
God has so marked me with his love, so marked me with his mercy, so marked me with his grace, so offered me all the riches that there are in relationship with him that now I'm overjoyed to receive what he has for me and so I joyfully offer myself in response to him. Can we proclaim that this morning? Can we proclaim that by this act that we've participated together? So the band's going to play and, uh, and they're going to sing and, and I'm going to just invite you to come. Again, if you need some time to sit and be thoughtful, really make sure you are focused on the body of Christ and the body of Christ. Do that. But when you take this, I want you to hold on to these two emblems together and we'll participate together as a proclamation. As a proclamation of who we are in Christ because of what he's done for us.